part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. We're in a series of seven lives. Before we get into that, I want to make sure that I make one announcement that I did forget before. And uh, that is the women's Bible study is coming up just in a couple weeks. And uh, you can sign up back there. Uh, There's a a ladies ministry board. You can sign up there and uh, we'll get you the book and all those kind of things so you can be a part of that. But it was mentioned by three different ladies to announce that today. And yet I still forgot it before. So (laughs) Luke chapter 7. How many of y'all have ever flown first class? Who's our first class people? Okay. Okay. Couple. Yeah. The, the one time that Carly and I got to, they, they had messed up some things on a previous flight. And so they put us on first class kind of to, to make amends because it was an anniversary trip and everything. And uh, only time that we've ever been in first class, probably the only time that we will be in first class. And so we're there and we're going, you know, we just thought that we were something. And so we're sitting there, and uh, we happened to be sitting in the front rows there, in the very front of first class. And she came and got our order, and we're going, man, I mean, it's really good stuff. It's like a steak and all this. And so, uh, you know, she disappears for about five or ten minutes, and she comes back out. And, um, you know, says, okay, if you put your tray up. We had been desperately searching for the tray, where the tray was in first class. We'd never been up there. It's not the little fold down from the seat in front of you like back there in the rest. And so we, were, we had to ask her. It was the most embarrassing thing. Okay, can you tell us where the tray is? And, you know, she could have clearly identified that we were not first class people. But, you know, if you've ever sat back there and coach, and it's one of those things, you're sitting back there, and, uh, you know, the flight attendants are super nice to you. They're helpful to you. But there does come that time of separation. There is that time, that pivotal time in every flight when they come and everybody's loaded. Everybody's now sitting. We're ready for takeoff. And they come up and what do they do? They close the curtains. And I don't care, you know, especially if you're sitting on like row two or three or four back in coach, it's very obvious. Now, when you're back there in row 35, you don't really notice it that much. But when you're right there, you're going... Man, there was just a designation that was made. There was a clear line in the sand of the haves and the have-nots. And, you know, yes, we have a bathroom back here, and yes, we have some of this stuff, but we don't have what they have up there. And there's just this moment that you're going, okay, this curtain being drawn signified a declaration, whether it was said out loud or not, because the stewardess is still, or the flight attendant, my bad, the flight attendant was still very much, you know, smiling all the way until her face disappeared behind the curtains. Surely that couldn't happen in real life. I mean, not a plane, but designations kind of subtly, sometimes not so subtly made, to where you really saw a designation, a label, something put on your life, and you just saw a classification and, a, you know, something that was being determined that made you feel uncomfortable. Well, that's what we see in this scripture this morning. Again, we're in a series of seven lives. We're in a series about lives that are transformed when they meet Jesus. And so many of these stories, as we begin to look at them, we're familiar with them. This is the woman who comes in to begin to wash Jesus' feet, okay? And there's actually, I want to make sure that you realize that there's two stories in the Bible where this happens. 
because every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell about a woman who came in and washed the feet of Jesus. But three of those Gospels, not Luke, but three of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, are talking about Mary, Mary, Martha, that one. And what confuses us is that they're in the house of this guy named Simon. But if you look back in that scripture, in those, it says that this woman comes in, and they're in the house of Simon, but it's Simon the leper. This is Simon the Pharisee. And a Pharisee would not have been a leper. A leper could not have been a Pharisee. And so these are two different stories. There are some commentators that say, well, you know, I think it's you know, too many similarities. But there's as many dissimilarities as there are similarities. So realize that when we begin to talk about this, that there are two different women. The other point of the other three uh, the Gospels are making is Judas is really upset that this woman would take this very costly ointment and spill it because, hey, couldn't we have taken that and given it to the poor? And he misses the whole idea of worship there. That's not the point of this story. And I hope by the end of the next 25, 30 minutes, 35 minutes that we consider, and that you will see that this has a whole different point. Humanity has a bent through classifying people. You have a bent through classifying people. You may not think that you're a judgmental person, that you're not, ah, no, I don't judge the book by the cover. We all do. It's part of our personality. It's part of the fall that we just kind of have this bent toward. I'm not saying that you do it sinfully. I'm just saying we have a bent there. And sometimes it's on financial status. Sometimes it's on educational status. Um, Men, we do this a lot. It really is amazing how different we may view somebody initially. We don't know anything about them. We're just sitting there. We meet them, meet them. And, Craig, I come up to you, and you tell me that you're CEO of a company. Well, I, was, I don't even know you. And I was like, CEO? Wow. And I don't know if it's a one-man company or it's 100 people or 1,000 people or, you know, if you're Fortune 500. I, I don't know that, but CEO. Somebody else comes up, and they say, okay, I have this job. And let's just say that it's one of those jobs that somewhere in our society we think, well, bless his heart. Men especially, it's kind of like, okay, you know, we're not trying to be critical, but it's just part of that nature, that fallen nature that we kind of classify and kind of put people in different things. Folks, this is not our culture. This is not something that has just come new. This was happening thousands and thousands of years. In fact, if we go all the way back in Genesis, it was happening there. It's part of the fall. And it really happens a whole bunch in the Gospels. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 36, and we see that there truly is this, from the very beginning, kind of a a have and a have not mentality. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. This Pharisee, we'll find out, is a man by the name of Simon, and he is one of the religious haves. The Pharisees were the religious elite. They were part of, uh, they weren't really pastors so much, but they were leaders, and they were just part of the religious elite. And so they would have been the halves of the religious groups of that society. Now, he invites Jesus comes in because Jesus is a known rabbi. There's a lot of the Pharisees that would not agree that he was the Savior or the Messiah. They're still trying to figure that out. And so, but he's a rabbi, and they know that he teaches. So more than likely, the motivation of Simon to invite Jesus to come have dinner is that he's got him in here. I don't know if you're a have or have not. I don't know enough about you to kind of classify you and that you are really, truly the religious haves or if you really are just a fictitious kind of 
player in this and you really don't have any substance. That's kind of his motivation. Look what happens. As they were having dinner, look what happens in verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was what? We never know her name. This is her identity, guys. And it's not just her identity in this household. This is her identity in the community. She does not have a name. She has an identification. She is not a have. She is definitely a have not among the religious people of that day. So we have kind of three groups going here. Look what it says. Behold a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table, that is, Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. This identity puts her in this category that very much Simon would have put her in and the rest of the community. So here's what we have here, guys. We have a religious section, the haves, that are just kind of the religiously there. That's going to be you this morning. Okay, you just having to sit in the right place. Okay, you're the ones that, at least by all cultural standards, you kind of have it religiously together. Okay, you're the haves. You're going to be kind of sitting where Jesus is sitting. Okay, you're the the the, the religious questionables. We don't know if you're a have or a have not. That's really tr- truly why Simon had Jesus over. He's trying to figure out, like so many of the other Pharisees, is this guy authentic? Is he really one of us? Is he the promised one or not? And so. He's going to do some testing. There's going to be some questions here. He's going to see how Jesus responds. But there's a question mark. Sorry, guys. (laughs) You're kind of sitting in this section this morning of the have-nots. You're going to identify with this woman. You don't have to have names. Forget that I even called you by name before. Because you don't have a name. You're a sinner. It's your identification. I'll call you by your given name, even though I know what that is. You're just a sinner. That's the players in this story, guys. You say, well, Bobby, that's kind of dramatic. No, it really was what was happening, guys. This Pharisee really is, in his mind, he's got it all together. Jesus is the one who's being tested. There is no test for this one. Why? Because the test has already been failed. And the grade's already come in, and it's a failing grade. You're a sinner. You got the setting? Because it's so important for us to kind of understand the setting to see then the interaction that begins to happen to all these different ones. A lot of people say, well, how did this woman even get into that house? Uh, Understand a little bit more about the culture. And this plays even to this story a little bit more. Uh, When a Pharisee would have supper and invite somebody like a rabbi, like Jesus, over, it was not uncommon for them to leave the door open. Or kind of people could come in. And even those that were sinners, the poor, the hungry. Now, why did they do that? Because in their heart, this was just, you know, a charitable thing to do. So when they finished eating, guess what these other people kind of standing around could do? Come in there and have the scraps. And I'm sure that made the righteous, the haves, I'm sure that made y'all feel really well about you, you know, good about yourself. You know, we had this splendid dinner and don't, oh, no, that's my steak. You can't have that. But if there's, you know, some mashed potatoes left over, you can have some of that. That's the setting. It's not unusual for somebody to come in. Maybe they would even become enlightened by the conversation that was going on between a Pharisee and the rabbi. You get the setting? Look what happens. Verse 38, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet 
with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, if this was a dinner to test Jesus, this was a test that was right there in front of them to see if he was a have or have not, then really, in one way, there was a definite way that the Pharisee, Simon, thought that Jesus should have responded. Now, let me give you a word of warning. We're mature people here. Or, or, can I go that we're mature people, grown-up people? Guys, it's hard for us to, to have this picture of this woman at the feet of Jesus, kissing his feet, crying over him, and wiping the tears with her hair without kind of getting that somehow this was an intimacy that was erotic of nature, and it's not. There's nothing erotic about this. And so it's one of those things we need to make sure that we, in our cultural mindset, don't see this as a woman who was somehow coming on to Jesus or something like that. And, and I say that because it's really important for us to understand where she's coming from. And it's kind of in our society because we are so kind of overplayed in all the, the things that are out there for us to say, well, you know, I don't think that, you know, if she came into my husband and started doing that, we've got to get that out of our mind. That's not what's going on here, Okay. So I say that just as a clarification because it does look like there's a lot of intimacy in the sense of intimacy going on. She's at the feet of Jesus. She's crying and she's broken. And when the tears come down out of her eyes and fall into the feet of Jesus, she begins, begins to take her hair, which again would have been another cultural thing. You don't take your hair down in public if you're a woman. And she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. I mean, everything that's here is out of bounds. It's against the rules. So clearly, in Simon, the Pharisee's mind, this is a no-brainer. Jesus, there's one way and only one way that you need to react to this woman. And yet he does not see Jesus drawing a line. He does not see, see Jesus taking his feet back. He does not see any of this out of Jesus. And, and so look what happens in verse 39, a very important verse in this Now, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, what's the next phrase? He said to himself, he did not say this out loud, he said this to himself. In other words, there was a test. Why? Because Jesus is in the question mark area, okay? Over here, determined. Over here, determined. Haves, have nots. Jesus, we don't know. Which side are you on? Here's the test. And Jesus fails the test in Simon's mind. No ifs, ands, or buts. He doesn't speak it out loud, but he thinks this is mine. And what is he thinking? If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Well, we've already determined that. But in his mind, he's making that determination again. And so is the test about her or is this test about Jesus? Thank you. It's about Jesus. Test has already been failed by her. This is a whole test of who is Jesus. Is he true? And, and Simon comes to a conclusion, guys. Do you see his conclusion? He is not a prophet. He's not a good rabbi because a good prophet and a real representative of God would not have allowed this to happen. He would have known who this woman was. He would have retracted his feet. He would have said something about her getting away. And he did not do that. He did not recoil. And so this is not a man of God. He makes the determination even though he doesn't pronounce it out loud in his mind. And he basically, I deem you to the land of the have-nots. Jesus, 
Move out of your seat and join these people over here. Verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him. Now why is that word answering so important there? He didn't say it out loud. Now again, it's great theological debate. Does Jesus, does he have the ability to read everybody's mind in his three years of ministry? Yes, he has the ability. Did he always take that ability? In other words, did he sometimes, you know, uh, allow himself to disband with some... I mean, he is God. He knows all things. But did he limit himself is the theological term. Was there a self-limitation that Jesus placed on himself? Not that others placed on him, but that Jesus placed on himself so that he didn't always know what was going on in everybody's mind. Well, this is one of those determinations where he does. Simon says it in his mind, I deem you to the land of the have-nots. You failed the test. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Verse 30, uh, 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them would love him more? Guys, I want you to know that there was a lot of times that Jesus gave out what we would kind of consider a riddle. Really hard questions. Really difficult that you don't, you know, I don't know the answer to this. Many times we've seen the Gospels where he really did present something that was almost unanswerable because you just didn't have the wisdom to know. But this is not one of those times. This, in theological terms, in practical terms, and even in spiritual terms, is a one plus one equals what? He says there's two people. One owes 500 denarii, 500 days wage. Other 50. They both can't pay. He forgives and cancels the debt of both. Which one would love him more? It's really an easy question. And Simon gets it right. Look what he says. Verse 43. Simon answered, the one I suppose. Now there's a little, he, you know, he covers himself, I suppose. Just in case he did get a wrong answer, he can say, well, that's what I was kind of thinking on the side. No, Simon answered, I, the one I suppose from whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You, you got it right. It wasn't that hard of a question, but you did get it right. But here's the part that you got wrong. Notice that he continues to talk to Simon, but I want you to notice what happens. Every word here is purposeful in the Bible. There's not an errant word, guys. There's not an extra word. There's not a word left out. When we see words that are there, we're going, oh, you know, I never noticed that before. It's there for a purpose. And I want you to notice what happens. He continues to talk to Simon the Pharisee, just as he's talking here. Simon, I've got this question for you. Gives him the problem. Simon says, I, I guess the one that was forgiven more. You're right. And he continues to talk to him, but he turns to the woman. And look what happens in verse 44. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, the most important question of the whole day, guys, for a church body, for Christians. Do you see this woman? I'm silent on purpose because I want that to burn in, guys. 
This was the test. Simon thinks he's putting Jesus to the test. So Jesus is going, you know, Simon, <laughs> you think you're the religious have. You think you got it all figured out. You, you don't even see this one. Well, of course I see her. I, I, I've clearly identified she's a sinner. No, you don't see this woman. You know, statistically, and we don't know what sin this woman was known for in community. It very much could have been that she was a prostitute or something like that. Do you know that if you trace back a lot of women who do questionable things, when you trace back in their lives, there's oftentimes there's been abuse upon them. I'm not saying that that's an excuse, a free get-out-of-jail card. You know, we always have to be responsible for our actions and everything like that. But do you realize that there is a strong, strong tie between something that a young lady would suffer at this age in her life and decisions that she makes later on? I'm not saying it's always the case, but there's just a strong tie there, guys. And I think what Jesus is saying here without reading too much in, because we don't want to ad-lib for the Bible, is do you see this woman? All you see is the resulting end of her sin. You never saw what led her there. And so oftentimes, guys, we don't see the person. We see the sin. (laughs) But we don't see the person. We don't know what led up to that. I'm not trying to make an excuse for sin. I'm just saying sometimes broken people were were not broken by their sin. They were broken before that because of somebody else's sin. And then they began to be broken in their own sin. Don't know that about this lady. She could have been 100% hey, just want to get rich. I'm going to go out there and, you know, this is going to be my, my, my job. And I'm going to get rich. She could have had that motive. But that's not where she is this day. She is broken. And one of the most telling questions of this whole passage is when Jesus, still talking to Simon, turns to the woman and says, Do you see this woman? Verse 44. I entered your house, and I want you to notice here, I highlighted you and she. Because Jesus does something here. He goes, okay, Simon, you, you kind of like linear thinking. You, you kind of like, you know, you got it all figured out. You, you, Simon was one of those guys with his kind of thinking, with this very pharisaical kind of thinking. He liked columns, black, white. Any people here, you just like black, you know, you, just, you think that way. Just, you know, something happens and you, you put it one way or the other. It just kind of happens. Just kind of part of the person. Well, Simon's that way. And the pharisaical nature just kind of even prompted it that much more. There's right, here's wrong. There is no gray. There's right and wrong. There's haves and there's have-nots. And so Jesus, I think, Kind of says, okay, you think this way? You, you like Excel spreadsheets? You, you like your columns? Well, well, let me column this out for you a little bit. I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. Now, that would have been a customary. Uh, Middle Easterners are huge, huge, huge on hospitality. And if you were coming over to somebody's house, if they were uh, a special guest, you would always allow them to wash their feet. Because as they traveled the roads and open-toed sandals, their feet really got dirty. So here you are. They also didn't eat a table like this. This table would have been about that high off the floor, and they actually reclined when they ate. That was the Middle Eastern way. And so you're right down there with the feet. And where your plate is and where your food is, somebody else's feet who's laying right there is kind of right there. So it was just a customary thing to do. And what does Jesus point out? He said, look, Simon, even the customary thing that you do for guests... 
you didn't do for me. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He goes to another cultural practice that may be unfamiliar to us. He said, you gave me no kiss. It wasn't that odd. In the Middle East, they're hospitable people. They're friendly people. You come over for dinner. No, 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 no. (laughs) Then I would kiss you on the cheek, okay? (laughs) I'm always glad Craig's always one step ahead of me. He's always one step ahead of me. (laughs) So he says, look, you did not kiss me. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. Again, this was another customary thing. If you had a very special guest, because, uh, again, they didn't always have showers at the end of every day. And so it was, they would take olive oil or some other, sometimes even more extravagant things, and they would put it in the hair. And it just not only produced, you know, it's kind of a hair gel kind of thing you know, if you've been out there, but it was also sweet smelling. And it just really added to the whole thing. That was customary if you had a special guest. He said, you did not do that. You didn't wash my feet or even provide water for me to wash my own feet. You didn't give me a greeting of a kiss. You did not give me oil for my hair. And yet she has anointed my feet with ointment. After he makes this kind of Excel sheet, he said, look, if this is the way you want to think about things, Simon, if if this is kind of how you line things up, haves and have nots, then I I want you to know that by all indication of what you did to me, you're a have not. Verse 47, look at the authority and the power of this statement. What's the first word? Therefore, is a declaration. There's something's about to be declared. When you say therefore, a judge could go on and give all kinds of things. And then at the end, he's about to give sentence. He's going to therefore, he's about to make the declaration. Christ is about to make a declaration here. And look what he declares. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Simon, I declare her the authority that I am the Son of God, the Messiah of the world, that she is a have. And I love what he does next. Again, don't miss the little nuances that are here. He speaks directly at the woman. And he says, in verse 48, he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, one time, remember, he's looking at her, but he's speaking to Simon. And he makes this declaration to Simon. I, I, she is a half. I, therefore, I declare she is a half. But now he continues to look at the woman, but now he speaks to the woman. So that it's not kind of third person. He looks in the way that I believe that only Christ could probably look at a person. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Verse 49. This is what religious people do, guys. Here's the trap of religion. Here's how religious people respond to things that they can't quite flow chart out. And when the Excel sheet begins to reveal something in their heart that they didn't want revealed, they debate. In verse 49, that's what they're doing. Then those that were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Uh, okay, debate. Let's talk about this. You know, can he really declare her as forgiven? You know, is he a really a righteous man? They turn it back away because they don't know how to handle the situation. But what I 
Love is how Jesus then comes back in the last verse, verse 15, and, and he just sums it up. He says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That day, she, she went from the have not to the haves by the only voice that matters, guys, the only voice that matters. And yet there's a thousand voices in your head, in my head. There's influence all around us all the time. And they are declaring all kinds of things. You're a have. Somebody else, you're a have not. On all kinds of different things in life. But in this one that matters, your relationship with the holy God, the only one that really ultimately matters, and the voice that only ultimately matters, declares that day, First to her accuser, and then to herself, you're a have, and you always will be, and I send you out in peace. Have you ever wondered if you're a have or a have not? Spiritually speaking, have you ever wondered, you know, Pretty good person. I know a lot of people that are worse than me. See, see that's the thing about when Jesus declares something, guys, he declares it. There's a, a therefore there. Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean that we stop sinning, no. But he paid it totally and fully. So now there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He pronounces these things clearly. Why? Because we live in a world of doubt. And sometimes that doubt is coming from outside and sometimes it's coming from inside. Do you think when she entered in that night, do you think that this woman thought that she was a have or a have not spiritually? I mean, her community had railed on her. Maybe it was deserved. I mean, maybe she did just have this wretched life. Maybe a lot of it was just her own bad choices over and over and over again. But that night she comes broken and repentant, and she comes to one who she has heard is the Savior. She comes in this brokenness, and she takes perhaps all of her life savings. What she does there is very expensive. And she literally pours it at his feet. This morning, maybe you came in and you, you think, I, I'm pretty convinced I'm a have not. And even my mom and dad, they kind of spoke into my life and, and they kind of declared me as a have not. And I have a husband or a wife that sometimes they would speak into my life and they would kind of declare that I was a have not. And one time I had a pastor and he spoke into my life and he said I was a have not. And so I kind of just think I'm a have not. Those voices, I'm not trying to minimize those those are the voices that make final declaration. There is a therefore that Christ speaks here that would now go in peace. And this morning, you may have come in as a have not, or even in the middle section, I don't know if I'm a have or a have not, but I can tell you this, this morning, when you broken, confessing before Christ the Savior, hey, I need you. I trust that your work was sufficient to bring peace between me and a holy God who is opposed to my sin, but sent his son to die for me. Therefore, I, I believe that as best as I can believe it, and there will be a therefore pronounced in your life. 
You are a have, and you shall have eternal life. Don't make it more complicated, guys. Two applications, and then we'll close this morning. One, personal application. Have or have not are wondering. It is not religion. It is not how many times you come to church. It is not the good things that you're doing. It's what Christ did. Have you put your full faith and trust in the work of Christ? That alone for your salvation. That's the first one. Second lesson for the body of Christ this morning. Maybe you say, I didn't know I've done that. I'm a have. When it comes to, do you see the woman? Do you see the man? Do you see where I'm going with that? And every day, guys. Man, in a cautious world, in a broken down, chaotic world, how easy it is to throw up defense systems all around us, man. Stay clear, stay clear, stay clear. Oh, man, that's danger right there. You know, I get it. I really get it. And we have to be cautious and we have to be wise. But do you see the woman? Do you see the man? You have no idea what brought them to that place. You may see their sin, but you may never have known what brought them to that place of sin. And so here, here I employ you, church. See the woman, see the man. In a mind that is so categorically haves and have nots, see the person and see the redemptive work of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you this morning. Of these stories, Father, we love theology. Father, theology is important. But, Father, there is something about these stories that when we see the way that you continue just to, to work in the, the lives of these people, that, Father, it is so endearing to you. And so we thank you. For, Father, I am Simon the Pharisee, but I am also the sinner. And, Father, I thank you that in the midst of, of me being the sinner and the, and the Pharisee, that, Father, there is an answer of a Savior. And that, Father, you said that all that would come to you, that, Father, that you would save, all that would trust in the provision of your Son, Christ, that, Father, they will have eternal life. Father, thank you that in a world of questions and wondering, are we a have or a have not, that Christ has made declaration that those who place their trust and faith in him are haves. And Father, I pray this morning for those that are questioning, wondering, struggling, that Father, today, that, that you would just give them confirmation that as they look to you, and not to religion, not to going to church, and not trying to just be a moral person, all those things are important, they're good, you bless them, and yet, Father, that is not the transformation that we need. We need a new heart, new life in Christ Jesus. Father, for us as a church in our judgmental attitudes, Father, how easy it is to see the sin and not the sinner. To make declaration of the sin and not see the person. Father, will you give us the eyes of Christ, the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, so that we truly can just love people. Father, we love you you give us hope and I pray that even this day Father that there will be those this morning Father that can put their full trust and faith in you and you will say peace go and live in peace and that they can put down the burden of their shame the burden of their hurt the burden of their confusion and Father it can rest at the foot of the cross 
in the sight of an empty tomb. We love you and we thank you. Have Father work in our hearts and our lives as we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.